Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Music History Project. Today, we are going to be hearing our interview with Armand Zildjian, legendary symbol maker. Roll theme song. Oh, you got to say it this time. <laughs> Welcome to the Music History Project. We're your hosts. I'm Elizabeth Dale. And Dan Del Fiorentino. And Mike Mullins. All of our content comes from the Oral History Program, which is sponsored by NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants. And that is a program that is over 3,000 interviews and constantly growing. If you want to check out any of our content or any of the other interviews that aren't featured, please check out our website at www.nam.org library. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we are back this week uh, listening to and commenting on Dan's interview with Armand Zildjian. Actually, this is one of the very few interviews in the oral history program at NAM where I was not conducted by me, but oh, actually that. conducted by Larry Lincoln, known as Link around here, uh, the uh, CEO of NAM for many years. He was a very good personal friend of Armand, and when the oral when the oral history program began in 2000, um, Armand was on my list, uh, but unfortunately he had cancer and was really difficult to uh, to get uh, an interview with. Uh, but when he was feeling a little bit better, he agreed to have an audio-only interview as long as Link conducted it at uh, uh, a visit to uh, his home in Arizona. So. I showed Link how to press record. He took a little recording equipment with him, and I'm really happy about it because, of course, that was our one and only chance to do it. Armand passed just a few years after that. So this is one of the last interviews that Armand Zildjian uh, gave. So I'm, I'm really proud to uh, have that as part of our collection and share it uh, today for this podcast. Which one of you guys wants to give us some background information? I, sh I think it should be our drummer. He's not looking at me right now, so just I'm you looking guys. at anybody. <laughs> I'm trying to look at Mike, but he's not looking back at me. Mike, I think you should give a little introduction on the uh, Zildjian Cymbal Company. Well, the Zildjian Cymbal Company is the oldest music industry company still? Question it's mark. In oldest company, period. That's what I thought. That's what they said in the interview. But I didn't know if that was right. I. Yeah, because... I think this is a little area murky. of contention. Yeah. Because there is a Tyco company in Japan that's been around about eight years longer and still family-owned and operated. That's my understanding. But certainly, when it comes to symbols, these guys are way the farthest and the longest. I think 1623, they were formed in... Um, Constantinople. That's pretty insane. I, I I know that I forget who said it. It was one of the Zildjians said that uh, the company's now into its seventeenth or eighteenth generation, which is just crazy That's to amazing. even think about. Yeah. But one of, if not the most uh, prevalent symbol manufacturer there is, um, Zildjian symbols have been around forever, as we just stated. And um, it's it's really more than a company. It's uh, 
it's a, a way of life, I guess you could put it. Well, they, uh, of course, started in Constantinople and um, moved to the United States in 1928 and set up a factory in Quincy, Massachusetts. Where exactly is Quincy? Quincy is just near Boston, Massachusetts, kind of my neck of the woods. And that's, of course, the area that Armand was born in 1921, and he took over the company in 1977. And um, a very amazing history. His daughter, uh, two of his daughters, uh, are running the company now, uh, Craigie as CEO and Debbie as uh, Vice President of Human Resources. And as you said, I think 14th or 15th generation. It's amazing. So that's one of those families that when you're born, you're born with like a symbol in your hand. Yes. You have no options. That's a good way to put it. But it's probably, I mean, it. <coughs> excuse me, you can't be in a family business not like that and have that many generations if it's not a good place to work. Eventually you have someone down the lineage who says, uh, symbols aren't my thing. Right. So th- th- you can tell there's a passion for it in the family that they continue to instill generation after generation after generation. Yeah. And I think it goes past the family too, because everyone that I've ever met that's worked at Zildjian or knows someone that works at Zildjian, it's always, oh yeah, they've been there for 20, 30 mm. years. Wow. People right. working in the factory manufacturing these symbols been there over 40, some over 50 years, which yeah, is just amazing. crazy. I mean, and that's that speaks for itself. I mean, right. you yeah. rarely find companies that can retain employees that long. So they're doing something right over there. So without further ado, I say we get into the interview. So the first segment we're going to be listening to today has Armand telling us about the role of his father in the Zildjian company and the general uh, company history, their move from Turkey over to the United States, their uh, immigration and stuff like that. And it's really interesting. You're going to hear a pretty fast paced company history coming down your way. So listen up. Armand, could you uh, uh, tell us about your father and what role he played, not in, <coughs> only in the growth of the Zildjian company, but in the growth of the symbol business worldwide? Uh, <clears throat> well, my father came to America and, uh, and <clears throat> after he was there for a while, he received a uh, a letter from his uncle in Bucharest. His uncle uh, Aram had pl- was in a plot against the Sultan of Turkey and therefore was discovered and had to uh, exile to, to uh, Bucharest. And he started to make some symbols there. This was a, an old process in the Zildjian family since 1623. An alchemist named Arvidus discovered a, for, a formula to make bronze symbols. Uh, the name Zildjian, Z-I-L, means symbol or bell in both Turkish and Armenian. And I-A-N means son of in Armenian, so it's son of the symbol maker. Uh, However, when my father received this letter from his uncle, he said, oh, this is, uh, I don't want to take this over because nobody's ever made anything out of this. They get a, an order to make 50 symbols and then, you, it, then they go to sleep for another 50 years, he said. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not really a viable occupation. So then uh, my mother said, why don't you just go to the music stores and 
talk with some of the people and see what they say. So he went around to some music stores and they said, sure, if you could make us a symbol, the name Zildjian is, you know, proficient with it, and maybe it'd be a good idea. So he he uh, he sent money for Uncle Aram to come to America. Uh, I can skip some of this because he first didn't come to America. He spent the money gambling. He was a big gambler. Never was married. And weighed about 300 pounds. Your dad did? Oh, no, no, the, uh, the uncle, Uncle Arnold. And he, uh, he can cut a lot of this out. He, he had a silver pointed beard and mustache and a bald head. He looked just like the king of Bulgaria. And every place he'd go, people would, would bow to him and everything else. And he was a piece of work. Anyway, he finally did come to America, and uh, he spoke six languages. Wow. And, uh, uh, but anyway, so every night we used to, the family used to have to listen to my father and Uncle Aram speaking in Armenian all night about how they were going to start this symbol business. Anyway, to make a long story short, it's, it, uh, it started, and it, like everything else new, it took quite a while to take. Uh, what was your father doing at the time to make a living? Uh, uh, my, my father was, uh, was making chocolates in, in the Boston area. There were quite a few Armenians in the chocolate business. And uh, he, he eventually picked up his, uh, this other Armenian, Arvidus Vataresian, who I worked with most of, all of the rest of his life, who was a wonderful man and a tremendous worker. Uh, so finally they became to be just a symbol company. And uh, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> Your uncle was working with your father? Yes. And, and uh, he, he loved food, and he used to cook lamb chops in front of the oven. Your dad? No, the Uncle Aram. And uh, Uncle Aram uh, weighed about 300 pounds. He, he uh, had a, a long night shirt with a, with a cap with a long string and a ball on the end of it. And he snored all night and kept my brother and I awake. And, and he loved sardines and everything. Christ, he was, he was, one night he, uh, he was, went into a Hayes Bickford restaurant. And well, you get the little chick, to, a little piece of paper, you know. And he, uh, uh, he spoke with the girl who was a who spoke French. He spoke French because he didn't speak any English. So she took him to a poker game out in Dedham, someplace, uh, which is a town outside of Boston. And finally, he called my father. He had to come and go get him. And he was he was something else. Then, <clears throat> then when we pulled symbols, we'll cut a lot of this. When he he pulled symbols. Once in a while, the rolling mill would get stuck, 
and it had a big four or five inch foot wheel on it and we'd put a great big two by six in it and uncle would get up on it and <clears throat> with his weight the, it would bust loose and the <clears throat> we get the rolling mill going again. Wow. Um, anyway, uh, this drum dealer in New York, Bill Mather, used to uh, 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 used to fix drum sets for Gene Cropper and Buddy Rich and all the big time drummers that were on the road, and Bill brought Gene Cropper up to the old factory. Now I'm going to explain to you what this old factory was because I think I was about nine years old when I saw this. It was an old building, and I mean old, a long narrow building with a dirt floor and it was full of old taxi cabs. And my father had to get a, uh, a uh, tractor to pull the old taxis out and set up the factory. So they had to pour cement in spots and put an oven in and its lathes and hammers and it was really quite a job. Uh, speaking of the oven, uh, my father uh, was, was about to light the oven one day and he turned the gas on and then took a rag on a stick in kerosene and lit it and stuck it in the oven to turn the burners on. There are 12 burners in there and all of a sudden the whole thing blew up on his, in his face. So they took him to the hospital and I remember this because I came home from school and I walked into the living room and there he was at the desk typing a bill and his whole head was wrapped in white bandages except two eyes and a nose and a mouth. And uh, anyway, uh, there, were, there were all kinds of uh, hardships going on in the first part. Anyway, when Gene Krupa came to the factory, he, he and my father got along very well. And, and, and uh, Gene said, you know, he said, Albertus, can you make a thinner symbol? All the symbols that are being made are, are real heavy. And, and uh, he said, <clears throat> he said, I'd like to use symbols, more symbols, and a little less snare drumming. And so uh, uh, <clears throat> my father and this other man, Arbutus, uh, started to make thinner symbols, and these immediately took on, and and uh, the the word was out, and the drummers. Uh, Came. So today's podcast is our uh, interview with Armand Zildjian, which took place in 2002. Armand was a true legend in the music products industry. He won all kinds of awards. You can actually go see his handprints in the uh, Guitar Center Rock Walk in Hollywood, California. He was also a Hall of Fame member of the Percussive Arts Society, so well recognized for his contributions in the music products industry, and we're very proud to have an interview with him, which was conducted by Larry Lincoln uh, as part of the oral history program. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear him talk a little bit about uh, some of the people that he worked with, including Gene Krupa. And I wanted to mention, you know, one of the interesting facts that a lot of uh, uh, drummers mentioned to me over the years is the amazing impact that Gene Krupa had 
in the 1973 NAM show. He apparently gave a, uh, a clinic and it was well attended. It was his last public appearance before he passed away. And uh, at the end of the clinic, he stayed until the lights went out, taking pictures and signing autographs. And I must have seen uh, a, a proud picture of Gene Krupa with fill-in-the-blank music store owner at least two or three dozen times behind their register in their store all throughout the United States. I mean, it was a really proud moment for the attendees of that show, and uh, it was all made possible by Armand Zildjian, who asked his friend Gene to come and uh, perform at the NAMM show. Yeah, so we're going to hear Armand talking about Gene Krupa as well as some of the other people he's met throughout the years, as well as his role in the business, and... uh, the iconic band that you guys, I don't know if you guys have heard of this one, maybe the, a little group by the name of the Beatles. Hmm. Must must be a cult following. Yeah, like just a little yeah. indie band, uh, yeah. very underground. Um, so he's going to be talking about that, and then we'll go in to him, <clears throat> uh, Armand, talking about working with Remo Belly, as well as a few others. Yeah, it's funny, we had, there was no such thing as an endorsement program in those days, but Gene, we, we, my father came out with a price list with a picture of Gene Krupa on it, and naturally this uh, it took quite an effect. Yeah. Um, it implied that he was uh, endorsing your dad's symbol. That's exactly right. Oh, great. Uh, well, what, uh, besides making a thin symbol for Gene Krupa, <laughs> were there any other innovative things that your dad did? Uh, you know the the coming of the hi hat. He he arranged for them uh, to make symbol match symbols for hi hat playing and and crash symbols and and the ride symbol, which is a heavier symbol. Uh, these are the days when the swing bands were just taking hold and. Uh, I can remember I was supposed to be studying, and every Tuesday night, and I'd turn the tele, I'd turn the radio on, and it would be Benny Goodman and the Camel Caravan, featuring Dr. Krupa and Dr. James, <laughs> and because uh, uh, I I always got a charge, and I figured I was so lucky to meet all these musicians that were coming out, yeah. and. Uh, uh, I remember uh, seeing Chick Webb and uh, and his band and Ella Fitzgerald when um, my Tisket a Tasket, my Yellow Basket came out. Oh, yeah. And uh, and then I can remember um, um, Cliff Lehman. Uh, Play with a Charlie Barnett band at the famous door in New York. Uh, he came out and wanted big, thin cymbals, and I remember I used to be picking the cymbals with the drummers all the time. Uh, actually, my brother and I uh, came into the business at this point. Uh, it, Zildjian was al- already established, but we helped from here on in. 
what were your respective jobs? Did you focus on one thing and, and Bob yeah. on another? Yeah, Bob wanted uh, wanted to to travel and be and go to the retail stores, and uh, and I I would just as soon stay at the, I like to stay at the factory and I worked in the melting room and symbol development and uh, <coughs> and devising new symbols to to uh, play on. Um, so so. Uh, we both were in the service, and I, uh, so I, I, uh, I worked in the melting room till I was 46 years old. Uh, things were still going kind of slow, and we didn't have uh, any real big uh, gains in the business until the Beatles came out. And I guess as everybody knows, they were so famous and their music was so good that um, we had 94,000 symbols on back order after they came to America. 94,000? Yes, 94,000. Wow. And uh, by the end of that year we had only 33,000 to go. Um, wow. Uh, Those are pretty big numbers. Yeah. You know, as the, as the drummers kept coming by, uh, one day Remo Belly came in and he was playing the drums from the Billy May band. This was before his great invention of the plastic drum heads and uh, he and he, we had another line of symbols called Zilco, Zildjian Company and those were the ones that didn't make it and and because Remo was always he he's a very articulate person and he said he says I mean tell me why the Zilco is how is different than the Zildjian and I said well you know they just don't make it. They're not as good. In those days, we didn't have the production remedies that we have now. So uh, anyway, um, Joe Jones from the Count Basie band used to be a, a, a pay us visits all the time when he came to Boston. They played at Lavaggi's uh, Ballroom, which was a great place to play. and. Um, and Joe uh, walked away every time with about four or five symbols. So um, my father said to me, he says, the next time he comes in here, he says, you've got to get some money from him. <laughs> I said, you know, I said, you know, that's not as easy as you think. <laughs> so anyway, Joe comes in the next time and, and we're picking out a few. He never hit a cymbal with a stick. He'd go crazy if you hit a cymbal with a stick. You have to hit it with your finger. And, and um, he said, uh, I said, Joe, uh, we gotta take a little money from you. So he hemmed it, you know, he, we hemmed it out a little bit and finally took his shoe off and his stocking and he had about 50 bucks 
in his stocking and his foot. <laughs> so the next time he came, he had he brought a check with him, which was a very small check, and he writes on it, Jonathan. Go on. Jonathan uh, and a couple other names. By the time he gets to write Jones, there's, there's about a quarter of an inch left on the check. But, but he, was a, he was a beauty. Then he'd tell my father, he said, I'm going to have my picture taken with you. And uh, I'm going to have my picture taken with you, but it's got to be with a tuxedo. So anyway... Uh, then would come, uh, Buddy Rich came, um, all these, all the other big swing guys came, and uh, we just, uh, it got to the point where I had to have more help uh, picking out symbols because the business was picking up. So I uh, hired uh, other drummers, uh, Lenny DeMusio, Bob Goldstone, uh, Leon Schiappini, a lot of drummers who would, who would, who would like to swat cymbals and, and pick them out for the, to do orders and everything. I find this podcast very interesting because uh, he was quite a dynamic uh, storyteller, Armand, um, and it's uh, wonderful to hear his voice. Okay, so moving forward, I thought we would take just a few seconds to give him some credit where credit is due. In 1975, the uh, Zildjian Company introduced a new series of symbols called the K-Zildjian. And it really was launched because Armand had this amazing relationship with a lot of different um, celebrity players, including uh, Elvin Jones and Tony Williams, who really helped launch that series of symbols. And since we have a drummer right here on the podcast team, Mike, tell us a little bit about that series of symbols. Yeah, so the, the K Zildjians are definitely a popular symbol among drummers. Um, they have a slightly darker tone than other symbols, um, and they it, there's kind of like a crisp sound to it that not many other symbols have. And I know personally a lot of drummer friends that will only play K Zildjians. Um, and all different kinds of music, jazz, rock, blues, anything really. It just seems to be uh, one of the most premier symbols out there. Awesome. So let's get back to Armand talking about uh, the changes that were happening in the company as we continue with our 2002 oral history interview with Armand Zildjian. I used to uh, go in the melting room every day, but on my way in, I... I would look at the ham the symbols that had just been hammered, and there were a lot of drummers that were saying they did they wanted symbols with less spread. So I picked up some of these symbols that, that had just been hammered and 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 played the ride beat on them, and they sounded uh, quite a bit uh, uh, muffled, more uh, dead sound, but the uh, ancient sound like uh, that seemed to fit in with a, a lot of the little groups, small groups. And uh, 
that that became we call that the Earth Ride symbol, and that started a lot of companies making symbols that did not ring so much. And one of the big things that drummers said when they came in is they said, you know, I want a symbol that when I ride it, I can hear the the stick sound above the uh, crash sounding. And so we went. This took a lot of. Uh, manipulating with, with, with symbols because we had to uh, satisfy each, each customer. Then... Um, experimentation. Experimentation, yeah. Yeah. Um, then came a period of sizzle symbols, and this was ridiculous. Everybody wanted a symbol with at least six or eight rivets in it. And so we had to drill them and put the rivets in. And then the fad stopped, but for about four years it was Sizzle City. <laughs> um, Roy Haynes came. Jesus. Uh, 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 Sada Finnegan band came with three percussionists. Uh, Max Roach and Charlie Mingus came, and uh, so I, I had a great time with these guys because we had we had an awful lot of laughs and and um, Cozy Cole came. Uh, there are so many I can I can hardly remember. Uh, at this time, the uh, Bop comes in with Max Roach and Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker. But this was a kind of cold period for for uh, for jazz and an audience. It didn't it didn't last as long as as they had pr probably thought it would be. And then comes the rock and roll period, which becomes dominant over all kinds of uh, m music. Um, uh, and then uh, what about uh, the changes in the company itself and the management? Oh, yeah. Um, as as time went on, um, <clears throat> as time went on, um, oh, that don't need it. As time went on, uh, my father made me president of the Arvidus Zildjian Company, and Bob president of export sales, uh, and. Um, however, soon after that, he passed away. And so, at this time, uh, uh, my brother and I struggled to get to, to get to work together as a team. Um, I knew that that he wanted to run his own ship and and uh, 
I would just as soon run mine. We had just differences of opinion of the way things maybe ought to have been done. Um, so after three years of battling with lawyers, uh, we, spl we split up and my brother took over the Canadian factory which, which belonged to Zildjian and uh, I re remained in Norwell with the Avada Zildjian company. Um, I'm sure that he is happier uh, in it, with this situation, and I and I am too. So I think it's a very agreeable uh, arrangement. Terrific, terrific. Uh, what about the changes in the Avada Zildjian Company, with uh, some of your oh, yeah. family coming in as management? Yeah. Uh, At this time, I guess I have to say, talk about the women in the family. Uh, uh, my wife, Andy, always supported me. Um, That's my what you told me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> my daughter, Craigie, um, uh, be became CEO and and with uh, and has been remarkably successful and my other younger daughter Debbie has been great support and has a good good common sense attitude about the whole symbol business and my son Rab so actually we are a, f a, f a family fortified business um, um, and I must say that I am very fortunate to uh, have a family that's w that is behind me uh, today, and I'm very proud of them. Well, great. Yeah, you sure were. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You know what an asshole I'd be today if it wasn't for them. <laughs> what? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, this ask, we got it, it's all on. Say, because this thing could go on all day. Well, that's okay. Uh, what, are some of the, what are some of the achievements of the company that, that you're most proud of throughout all these years? Uh, the Zildjian company ability to uh, establish the right symbol for the right job in both marching band, concert band, symphonic music, which for years has been dominated by Zildjian, and uh, popular music, uh, jazz, rock and roll. In every type of music, Zildjian has been a dominant force. Wonderful. How about uh, as a business? I understand Zildjian is a very old company. Yes, it's uh, it was a st st 
established in 1623, and the use for symbols in those days was, it was that it was used in Armenian churches and uh, in Istanbul, and the Janissary soldiers, which are the Turkish soldiers, the story goes that they were used in battle, and they were also used to drive the locusts out of the fields. <laughs> Yeah. That would do it. Uh, let's see. Dunn and Bradstreet recognized Zildjian a few years back. Yes. They, uh, <coughs> the, they said that the uh, Arbutus Zildjian Company is the oldest business in the United States. Wow. That's not just music business. That's, that's any business. Any business, correct. Wow. That's it. That's a wonderful recognition to have. Moving forward with the interview with Armand Zildjian, uh, he's going to be talking about his experiences with NAM, including his first NAM show. And um, something to note about the NAM shows is it's always a great time for um, endorses of products to speak with the companies, um, give them their thoughts, uh, maybe check out some new products. And Armand was definitely known for talking to the players of Zildjian and establish, establishing really strong uh, relationships with these guys. And um, we've interviewed plenty of drummers that have said that Armand would personally call them or invite them to the factory and, and sit down with them and make sure that everything was perfect and ask them, like, what are you looking for? Is there anything else that Zildjian can do for you that we're not doing yet? And just established these really personal uh, relationships and um, yeah, every drummer that we've talked to uh, or interviewed has always said that, that there was never um, any artist relation uh, person that was like Armand Zildjian. Let's move on to another area. Do you remember your first NAM trade show? Uh, yes. <clears throat> In 1946 the New Yorker Hotel in, in New York, and the um, and the um, <laughs> and the showrooms were just common, ordinary hotel rooms. Uh, Move the furniture from the rooms, and, he, right? And you put in your product display and, and a little display, yeah. and uh, but it it was the start of the name shows that really grew into what it is today, which is enormous. I have to say that um, I have been a friend of Larry Lincoln since before his. Uh, appointment as of CEO at, at NAM, uh, both personally and business-wise. Uh, we first met in Boston at a music show, and... Uh, and then you'd call Maher and you'd say, I gotta have that back cover now, Jack. I don't want you screwing around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember 
the old man used to say, I'd have to go to New York to see Bob Hawley, the advertising guy. He'd start haunting me five months before the contract was up. Yeah, he say, uh, my father would say, well, the budget then I think was $36,000 for all the advertising. He says, I want you to go to New York and cut the, cut the, uh, cut those numbers down. Can't spend that much money. This is way better. <laughs> so, <laughs> I go down and with Bob Hawley was, like, oh, the greatest man. So anyway, he'd be down there and, and uh, we'd say, well, should we cut this? Shall we cut this and cut that? Then Bob always say, Look, the only way you're going to save money is to cut out downbeat back covers. So, so, so then I'd say, well, okay. I knew it anyway. So I, <laughs> I'd call the old man, no, don't cut any back. I said, well, what do you want me to do then? <laughs> well, that's interesting. There's all kinds of ways Bob Hall did all Ludwig stuff, too, and boy, he was great. What an interesting segment from Armand Zildjian. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting about this, especially not having a background knowledge of the Zildjian company beyond kind of the basics, not really knowing him beyond the basics, um, was one thing I found super fascinating that we're going to hear about next is that the cymbals and percussion and drums weren't really his always his instrument of choice in that he actually played the trumpet for quite some time. And that's just, I, you would think with someone in a company that's so, uh, you know, universally focused on cymbal making, like that's very specific. It's not like they make every facet of percussion. It, they make cymbals. For, for their, someone in the family lineage, the president, to play the trumpet. <laughs> Nowadays, I think that would be called uh, like cross-branding, brand confusion. They'd be like, no, 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 you can't play the trumpet. You have to play the cymbals. You can only play the cymbals. Um, I found that really fascinating. So we're going to hear Armand talk about playing the trumpet growing up. Well, I, I guess you have to say I always had a, a love for music. And I was uh, a confused and terrible trumpet player. But I, in high school, I played in the concert, in the marching band, and in college, I played in the marching band and the concert band. And in the concert band, I really had a ball. One day, <clears throat> uh, during a nice hot summer, I went to the canoe club near the factory to hear Harry James's band in a one-nighter. Uh, <clears throat> And the drummer was Lester Merrill, a very good friend of ours. And we had some pictures taken. And uh, Harry was so was so so tall. And and I'm standing beside him. We look kind of silly, but anyway, it's a wonderful picture. <laughs> and and uh, uh, I guess we, we'd all been drinking a little bit. And. Uh, Anyway, at the end of the one-nighter, Harry got on the bus, and they were driving to a Holiday Inn. So, and I'm following him in my car, and I got a, my trumpet in the trunk. So just as the bus comes into the hotel, I get out and get the trumpet out and start to play Cherry Berry Bin, <laughs> which is Harry's theme song. And Harry says, 
to Lester Merrill, who the hell is that? <laughs> Which doesn't do, uh, credit my trumpet playing too much. So, so. Uh, he wasn't worried about you taking over, right? No. <laughs> I love it. Then on another occasion, the Vermont Jazz Festival, uh, <clears throat> Larry Lincoln was was with me, and we went to hear the Maynard Ferguson band in this outdoor concert. It was uh, it had we had had a lot of rain, and there was all this hay in the water, uh, which was kind of messy in front of the bandstand. But anyway, Larry and I were in, in front of the band, and Maine had started to play MacArthur Park. So Larry and I are lying in the junk there, and we start playing back at the band. <laughs> but I'm going to say, Larry played beautifully, but I hit some couple of clams, and... <laughs> Maynard looked down at us and busted up and <clears throat> couldn't finish the song, his part in the song. Well, being a big jazz fan, it's awesome to hear Armand talking about some of those early influences in the jazz world that he got to know, um, Harry James and some of the others. Um, and, of course, as we were talking about earlier, he Armand played a big role in bringing celebrities to the NAMM show, uh, Gene Krupa we mentioned earlier. Another guy was Buddy Rich, who was a really close friend of Armand's. Um, and it's really fascinating to me to, uh, to hear about that relationship because both of them were very dynamic personalities. And I think when they got together, um, Armand always respected and, and let Buddy have the floor, as it were, and, and have the conversation. He respected him greatly. And I think it was a great relationship, and it certainly worked out well that uh, Buddy promoted the Zildjian symbols everywhere he went, including doing clinics and, um, and fundraisers that uh, featured the symbols. So uh, a great relationship. Yeah, and to piggyback off that, we're going to hear the conclusion of Armand's interview is right after that Buddy Rich story is we're going to be hearing about his relationship with the factory workers and how strong it was and how much he respected the work that they did to support him and his dream and his family's dream. One night I, w I went to see Buddy Rich and um, on a one-nighter and, and <clears throat> I'd just been in my shorts. It was a real hot July day. And they wouldn't let me in to, to hear the band. And in comes Buddy, and I said, I said, hi, Buddy. I said, they won't, they won't let me uh, in in these shorts. He says, well, okay, then, it, then we're not playing the show. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. You, you, uh, I'll go to a movie, you know, you keep playing. So finally they decided to let me in and I, <clears throat> if I would wear a pair of long pants. And they gave me a pair of pants that belonged to Pat LaBarba, the tenor saxophone player who was about six foot three. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I'll be darned. Yeah. I bet you look, you must have looked real good in those pants. Oh, yeah. Okay. I had to fold them back up about eight inches. Well, uh, our final question, you want to uh, talk a little about the relationship that you had with uh, the factory workers uh, throughout the years? 
Yeah. I've I've always been fortunate enough to get along with the very well with the with the factory workers who have worked for us for years. Uh, uh, we had some we had some very tough uh, physical work to do in the, in the periods before the time when we could automate and. Uh, and the, and now we have a uh, a vice president of manufacturing who has um, been able to take a lot of the intense labor out of manufacturing. But anyway, I always enjoyed the people that were working for me, and uh, and I still do. I respect them, and I and I and I know they respect me. So to conclude this uh, episode, a podcast for. Um, the Music History Project, and featuring our 2002 interview with Armand Zildjian, we thought it would be kind of cool to uh, play just a short clip, actually our web clip, of uh, his daughter, Craigie, who is the current CEO of the Zildjian Symbol Company, uh, from her oral history interview. Uh, just as a, a little nod to his legacy, to the fact that uh, the uh, the family still continues to make these amazing uh uh, instruments and products, uh, particularly Zil, uh, Zildjian cymbals, but of course they're very active in music education and uh, creating more music makers with uh, drum circles and teaming up with uh, uh, Remo Belli, as we heard earlier. So it's a it's an amazing legacy that he's left behind, and I think a real nod to that is to hear from his daughter. My father did that in a number of ways because he would. He just loved to play so much, he would find opportunities to play. So that would be weekends, it would be weddings. And of course, he wasn't playing for money. He was playing for the opportunity to, to, to be a part of you know, a band mm. and to have that, that fun experience. And, and, and I remember um, he would share some of his stories with us, how he went to one wedding, and of course, they didn't know him. They, didn't know that he was the president of a business and, and you know, um, was somebody of means. And so they just treated him like an, one of the band and um, asked him if he'd use, you know, the back door. And um, these are the kinds of, of stories that I think made us appreciate, you know, what musicians had, had been through. In, in, you know, and I think of, of, of Max, Roach, and, and, and Elvin, and, and Roy and Louie here, and, and the stories, um, you know, and, and how, how people were, of color were treated and how musicians were treated. And um, that's one of our, our really mm -hmm. core values is we honor musicians. That's what this event was about. We created the American Drummers Achievement Awards to recognize some of these people. As Max Roach said, I, I never got to play uptown. You know, I never played for that kind of money yeah. that, that the, you know, the white drummers w would receive. I mean, he didn't say it with, with a lot of bitterness, but this is a part of our history. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Music History Project, focusing on Armand Zildjian and the Zildjian Symbol Company. We'll see you in two weeks.